0: The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome back to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all of the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. Be sure to stay tuned after today's interview for Hollaback. That's my Q&A where I'm answering questions from my listeners, so be sure to stay tuned. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to In My Heart, a podcast truly about all the things in my heart and finding our freedoms. I'm your host, Heather Thompson. My next guest, Natalie Kelly, most recently starred in the lead role of the ABC series Baker and the Beauty. Her films include Take Me Home Tonight and The Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift. On TV, she played Crystal in the CW reboot of Dynasty. She starred in season eight of The Vampire Diaries and season one of Unreal. But Nat Kelly is so much more than her impressive acting resume. She's all about living better and the footprint we leave on Big Blue each and every day. She is researched, honest, and humble about it. Nat Kelly is all about living with this planet, not just on it. It is my absolute pleasure to chat with people I look up to in countless ways. And lady, your dedication to our world, our land, our oceans, and humanity is surely something we can all look up to and learn from. Natalie Kelly, you are in my heart. Welcome. It's so great to be here with you today.
1: Wow! What an intro! What a bio, Heather. Thank you so much. I need to borrow that bio. That was um, <laughs> that was um. That was well, really it's nice all yours, my, girl. Thanks. That was really nice to see myself reflected in you in that way. Thank you so much.
0: Oh, it is my pleasure, and I'm so excited to have you on because. These are topics we have to discuss, and I think that oftentimes we hear about the problems and we don't are not we're not offered enough solutions, and we're not offered enough realization of how we really can lean in to help. So I want to start by discussing your background as an actress and and your pivot into environmentalism and this dedication that you have to the world and sustainability. Was this always something you were interested in?
1: I think I've always been a storyteller, and I've always had a desire to tell stories. And uh, from a young age, I realized that I wanted to tell stories in movies and in television. But I also um, was left with a big impression about the stories that my grandmother and my mother passed on to me. The stories about my family, my indigenous heritage, the history of Peru, the history of the Incas, which is the indigenous people that I descend from. And then when I went back to South America for the first time um, and I saw I was a teenager and I saw the poverty that um, indigenous people lived in and the incredible inequality, it didn't match in my mind to this image that my mother had told me of Machu Picchu and an empire in which the Incas had built more roads than the Romans there was this big disconnect between um, the indigenous people and the way that they had lived in the past and the way that they're viewed and treated today. And that was a story that I felt, I always felt like I needed to explore and I needed to tell because something in me, even though I was a teenager, said that's not right. You know, like, why is it that we're told that, you know, blonde hair and blue eyes is beautiful, but if you have a wide indigenous nose and dark, thick black hair, that's not. And I even recognize it in myself, you know, just program patterns of thinking that being more European is better, you know, and realizing like, wow, not only have our, has our culture and our history been erased, but we've been now taught to really hate ourselves. And that goes beyond just beauty. Um, when you look at the state of the world and, and, and the state of our natural resources that are left you'll see that this kind of mentality of colonialism and exploitation and white is better has left these some of these places in the world like Peru like the Amazon in a in a state of complete devastation and disarray you know why is it okay that we think we can drill for oil in a place and leave 16 gal- 16 billion gallons of oil uh dump that intoxic waste in the Amazon and just move on without paying a cent. That oil has gone to has gone to our cars, to our planes, to make our clothes. For us in the first world, for people like me to live this very elite privileged life, people over there have to suffer, people who will never set foot in a plane. And so you see the story that started off very small, like you know, as a story being told in my family. Suddenly when I see when I see the implications of the story in terms of the environment and social justice, I realize that this is a very large story that we're all complicit in, that we're all a part of. And I want to start using my platform as an actress to elevate the voice and, and the position of indigenous people, because they are protecting the last remaining places of biodiversity in the world, even though they're only three percent of the population. So it's not just because, well, I'm Indigenous and I think we need to all give Indigenous people more respect. No, they are there defending the Amazon rainforest, which provides 80% of our oxygen. If they go, the rainforest goes and our oxygen goes. So we're all interconnected. And so it's just become my life mission to rewrite our story to one that is more just and equitable for all people and for all living beings, including the water, the mountains, the forest, the trees, the animals.
0: Yeah, I mean, hallelujah. Honestly, (laughs) it's it's beautiful to hear. And it's um, the passion comes through. And, um, and I feel it and I, it, you know, I have empathy for it and it hits my heart and, you know, sustainability and reducing, you know, plastics to protect our beautiful land and see, you know, I, I live for that sort of thing. And I'm constantly, you know, avoiding my life and my family's life of single use plastics. And we see all that, but it's not enough. And we're not telling the public really, those who haven't seen what you've seen their eyes haven't traveled like yours have and they don't come from a heritage that you come from and you've altered you know your day-to-day life i know in many ways not just single-use plastics over the recent years is there any lessons that you can bring out right right away uh, you know uh, how harmful materials and how we can back off and what we can do just talking about big blue first we're going to get into some social equity later
1: yeah Thank you for this question, and I know the way that I painted the picture of the state that we're in—it sometimes feels a little bit gloomy and, and and huge because I'm talking about the way that our world is is structured. I'm talking about you know needing real structural change, and that goes beyond switching out your plastic straw for a metal right. straw. But that does not mean that individual responsibility doesn't matter, because that's where the waking up happens individually. Yes. And and so. It happened for me in this way. I can only talk about my story. And then if it resonates with people and they think they want to try something, that makes me feel great. For me, what happened was I started to realize that most of the things that I enjoyed in my life, enjoyed eating, enjoyed doing, enjoyed wearing, were having a negative impact on the planet. I would wake up and I would have a full paleo breakfast. So that would be some kind of animal protein. And then I'd Put on some outfit that was made of polyester. drilled that means it's drilled from oil. It's it's a derivative of fossil fuels. Uh, then I'd get in my car, put some in some more gas, you know, or get on a plane and fly somewhere to go to a friend's birthday party, and or I'd go to work, which is you know the the film industry is incredibly wasteful and uses yes. a lot of resources. And I had a dark moment at the at, when I was in Australia for the uh, fires. I couldn't see the sky. It was so black with smoke. And, and the reason for the fires is that, well, our planet is warming because we cannot stop burning fossil fuels. And we're, we're mistreating our soil because we're, we're growing things that, that require an immense amount of water, like cotton and, and cattle. And that's draining our water table, causing droughts, leading to the perfect conditions for wildfires. And that's not happening just in Australia, but all around the world. And so I had this moment of real rock bottom where I was like, I don't know if I even want to live anymore because everything that I do is harmful. And that's when somebody showed me a movie called Kiss the Ground, um, which I really recommend to everybody on Netflix. And it shows how in the same way that modern agriculture has actually been the problem and a massive contributor to carbon in the atmosphere, we can actually revert to an, an indigenous way of growing food, which we're now calling regenerative agriculture, to do the opposite, to heal the soil and to use nature's technology of photosynthesis and in and, and using carbon in the atmosphere, drawing it down into the ground, making it food for the plants and, and sequestering it to so putting it back into the soil. We can actually use that to reverse climate change. And so that led me into this whole path of regeneration and regenerative thinking, regeneration is a step further than sustainability. So sustainability is a good place to start. I'm not going to knock you if that's what you're aiming for, but in essence it means maintaining the status quo. And the status quo is not maintainable. If we if we just if we just stay carbon neutral and net zero, then we're going to still go off the cliff. It might take right. a little longer, but at this point we've gone so far in degenerating the land and putting so much carbon in the atmosphere that we need to start reversing that, and that's what regenerative agriculture is about. And it, and it means that we need to start looking at how we the food that we buy and how that it's, and how it's grown and yes. the clothes that we wear and how those textiles are made because if we all decided today to stop eating food that was grown conventionally with gmo with gmo seeds and pesticides and nitrogen sprays and start eating only food that had been grown on regenerative farms using these regenerative techniques, which is no pesticides, no sprays, low tilling, regenerating the soil, polycropping, rotating, grazing. And then we we bought clothes like wool that had come from a sheep that was on a similar kind of farm or some kind of other like regeneratively farmed cotton or or hemp or something like yes. that. We could fix the situation today. The problem is those things that I'm talking about are still very, very niche. But I really believe that if enough people wake up about the damage that how our conventional choice, what our conventional choices are doing to the earth are, is doing, that if enough people wake up, then we can reduce what is now like the conventional um, way of, of buying our food and clothes and, and expand this niche so that the niche becomes mainstream. And it just takes education. So Kiss the Ground is a great place to start. Look into what the origin of your clothes, the origin of your food and ask yourself, can I do this better?
0: A hundred percent, I mean convenience I always say is killing us, yeah. and um people really don't know how damaging what they're doing is they're you know like I said uneducated or they think they're doing the right thing and they don't know, and what has become fringe is organic farming, you know regenerative farming. I use organics in my my uh, food brand, which i'll share with you, but people are uh there's barriers to that because of price. Mm-hmm. um accessibility right like you said so what's fringe is the farmers market what's fringe is the organic food and what's mainstream is what's killing us it's the gmos it's science based food and it's lobbying and it's big food and it's big pharma i talk about the dirty dozen list oftentimes when i'm selling beyond fresh or talking about my organic food brand because you know i say to them like Your dollar really counts. And it's also about your health, right? I try to turn it into like, how does it affect you each and every day? And pesticides will cause cancer in your system. And these things will hurt you. But when you look at it at the broader scale, like you talk about, it's got to be a top-down initiative, right? I mean, it has to come from our governments. It has to come from policies, right? It has to come from lobbying and law. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because a lot of people feel their hands are tied with the small choices they can make that their purses can afford. But talk to me about the top down versus bottom up. Yeah.
1: Well, bottom up is very important, but You know, we have to recognize that if we're a part of this privileged elite, one percent, they get to go to the farmers with farmers market with our canvas tote bag and fill our bag with expensive organic food. Then we are a member of the privileged elite, and most of most people do not get to eat like that, and that is not okay, and that is not fair and this is where the social justice issue comes into it. Yes. Is we, we have to be angry about that and start mm-hmm. to advocate so that all people can eat this way. Because we talk about cheapness and convenience, but actually these things are not cheap or convenient in the no. long run. If nope. you are feeding your family conventionally grown food because that's all you can afford. And I, I don't blame you for doing that. You know, like things things are very unjust in this country and you just need to feed your family. I get it. Why should you have to even make a choice like that of right. buying buying something organic now that's going to break the bank or dealing with a family that has increased rates of autism, of cancer, of of all kinds of diseases they've linked to? the uh, rise of modern agriculture in our country you know and so eventually down the line you're going to get sick from all this palm oil all these GMOs you and your family are going to be sick and that's going to be expensive and that's not convenient either Mm -hmm. so it's it's kind of reshaping what we think of as cheap what we think of as convenient and then it's about taking action like why is the American government subsidizing GMO corn and soy when it's killing animals, when it's killing us, and it's killing the earth. Why are they not subsidizing the organic and regeneratively farmed foods so that they are cheaper for our consumption? We have to ask ourselves, like, who are we supporting in government? Who can yes. we put in, you know, and there has been hopeful news in that um, I think one of the ministers of agriculture in the United States, I know that they did show a preview of Kiss the Ground in one of their first Senate committee hearings on agriculture. Yes. And this is exciting news, yes. you know, because another thing that I want to say is that this is not some elitist, liberal, like, argument, oh, like, everybody needs to eat organic food. Where I, I am here on behalf of the farmers who have the highest rate of suicide among all professions. Why? Because they are in debt to Monsanto and these companies that sell pesticides and nitrogen. Because the soil is being depleted from so much use of these inputs, and then it means that the next year they just have to buy more and more and more to to get it to keep working. And you ha- you have to keep increasing. That's the way it works. The the land builds up a tolerance. You know, and so I'm here for the farmers. I'm here for the the working class people who need food as well. I'm not just here as an elite, which I am, as an elite person right. saying everybody needs to eat organic. I'm saying this is a human right to have yes. access to food that has not been poisoned, and it yes. is, and it is the Earth's right to be farmed in a way that is respectful to her. Because, and I'm just going to end it on this one fact because it's very sobering. The way that we're farming the land at the moment, which is totally degrading her and removing the topsoil, which you need the topsoil to grow food, it's estimated that we only have about 60 more harvests left before we completely finish all the topsoil in this country. So that's another 60 harvests. Our children and their children won't have any soil to grow food in if we keep going down this path.
0: It's chilling actually. And I wanna just back up because you're so educated and you're you know, so aware. And I just wanna break it down for some people that don't understand um or don't even know that cows don't eat corn naturally, right? Yeah, please. So yeah, so so cows have two stomachs for people who don't know and they're grass eaters. And because corn is subsidized and soy is subsidized by the government. Farmers buy that food cheaply for their cows. They create enormous gas because their bellies can't process the corn. So yeah, they flatulate all day long and it's killing the ozone layer. It's killing the environment, not to mention the way the amount, the mass sheer amount of cattle in this one place, the way they're being fed, the fact that they're supposed to graze, they're supposed to be moved from field to field to graze. That's the natural existence of the cow. You know, then what happens is the the very nature of that many cows together. There's disease and they're pumping them full of antibiotics. And not only that, but some of the processing factories are using fillers in the meat that aren't even real. I mean, they're finding we're finding petrol and gas and baby food. Okay. So let me just back up. You can't even buy or even when you see organic corn, you guys, it's not even corn the way it used to be. It's been so um, genetically modified at the seed level for so many years that it's not even real corn anymore. I don't even think you can buy organic, truly organic corn. I don't think that seed even exists anymore because it's so subsidized. you think that's fair to say?
1: Uh, yes. It's com- been completely distorted from the original grain of maize,
0: yeah. but it does exist
1: yes. in Peru. Peru hasn't allowed, right. but that's where it comes from. And Peru hasn't allowed yeah. GMO seeds no, thank you for that summary, because a lot of people don't know. And so you can imagine what Heather was describing, the the condition of these cows, how sick they are. We're consuming that sick meat. Is it any wonder that we're getting sick? And then this That's has right. a ripple effect on the earth because all the runoffs from the pesticides and the hormones and all the crap that they inject into the cows is running off from Texas into the Gulf of Mexico. And there is now a confirmed dead zone in the ocean where coral and fish and everything is dead from all the runoff from the cows in texas but i want to say now to flip this the cow is not the villain and this is the uh the message of regenerative agriculture the the way that we are using the cows is the villain but actually if we put the cow back Onto its rightful place, which is an animal that can actually be very beneficial to the soil and the grass by moving her out of the feedlot and taking this beautiful cow off corn and soy and grazing her and using her to mimic the bison and the buffalo that used to exist in this country yes. and, and using those hooves to gently break up the soil and rotating the grazing. And then you're actually putting the cow back in her rightful place in the ecosystem And she can help to regenerate the soil. Because a lot of people say like, for me, I have chosen to be a vegetarian because I have taken a vow of nonviolence and that's my spiritual path. But I don't expect everybody else to live like that. Meat has uh, helped humans evolve into where we are now. I'm not necessarily completely opposed to eating meat. I'm opposed to the way that we are farming the animals without respect and reverence. So if you still, uh, if you love beef, then look for a regeneratively farmed cow. This cow would yeah. have had a wonderful life grazing as it has me- is meant to graze on grasslands. It would have done its part in regenerating the soil, using its manure to fertilize the soil, its hooves gently breaking it up, moving around pasture land, doing its, doing its thing, you know, yes. and helping the earth. And then when we eat this happy cow that, is, that has lived out its purpose, then we're not eating all this all this sickness and bad karma, yes. and that, and and as a consequence, this cow will nourish us, and we can thank yes. it. And that is living in harmony with the natural world. I'm not this hippie liberal greenpeace girl, like my dad calls me, it's like, don't eat animals. I'm like, no, there's a right way and a wrong way.
0: That's right. A hundred percent. And you guys, it's not just cows, it's chicken. It's pigs, is everything. So yes. conventional food, just so that you guys understand, it doesn't sound bad, right? Conventional. No, but it's really bad because what's happened is it's the sheer mass of loading chickens by miles and miles of chickens. And they want them to be what? They want them to grow plumper faster. So they pump them with hormones that make them grow faster, where the chickens grow at some exponential rate where they can't even walk anymore. So what's happening, and I want to just say this, being healthy does not pay. And what I mean by that is you have to understand big food and big pharma go hand in hand, right? So We want you to be healthy. We want you to eat food that makes you healthy, but they like the fact that you eat food that makes you sick. They like the fact that you're in the hospital suffering from chronic illnesses that can be totally reversed simply by what you put in your mouth. You know what I mean? If we can just take it into a selfish place, you guys think about what you are putting in your body and then think about in essence how that is reacting, What the the way you got that food, what it's doing to the earth. So I want to talk about that a little bit more because you are aspiring regenerative humans, you know, and I I want to just talk a little bit more about what that exactly means. And let's break it down in layman's terms about some of the actions that we can take.
1: Yeah. Well, I explained, you know, what a degenerative human looks like. That is someone... That's the person I'm transitioning out of being, mm-hmm. somebody who's consuming a lot of fuel, whether it's in my cars or buying clothes a lot of the time, who's, who's buying food that's not good for the environment. So I've, I've managed to look at like a few areas of my life, like the main ones. So the food is, is a big one. So I stopped eating meat. That's why I feel like it's so funny when people bash vegans and vegetarians, because it's like they're they're making space for the carnivores to be able to have their their fill. You know, they're going to have to be some of us that say, I'm able to do this to go without this. And for the sake of the greater good, that's what I'm going to do. So that's what I've done. So but just by doing that, I have minimized so much harm to the environment. Then I started. I'm going to
0: interrupt you for one second. I just want to talk about the plate, your food plate. If you think about eating meats right in the way that we're supposed to and the sheer amount of meat that we eat. So if you're a carnivore like me, I make meat choices maybe once, maybe twice a week. But, and when I do the majority of my plate is vegetables though. Yeah, And so you don't necessarily have to make a shift totally toward veganism. Wow. And by the way, I agree with everything that you said, but think about the amount, first of all, the source, and then how much of it you're eating. And that also affects your health.
1: Yeah, I think that's important because sometimes people tune out when they're like, oh, this person's telling me to be a vegan or a vegetarian. No, I'm saying that the amount of animal products we're eating is out of balance and you need to bring yeah. that into balance. For yeah. me, that balance meant cutting it out completely Nothing. because I have lived on meat and animal products my entire life. I felt like I'd consumed three lifetimes worth of these things,
0: so I'm in <laughs> and now. Yeah, I'm done. Yeah. But and, other and people, you plus, you, it was a spiritual path for you exactly. as well, and I have to—I totally respect and admire that. Yeah.
1: But for other people, it it can be about reducing, you know, even if we all just reduce that would have, it's the biggest impact. It's a choice that has the biggest impact on the planet. So I cannot emphasize it enough. And can I say for people who were like, well, grass fed is expensive. You will save so much money if you reduce your meat amount quantity and go for better quality, but less of the time and then supplement it with more vegetables and you'll be healthier and happier. There's no downside. But so that's just number one, balance your plate. And then the second one is a big one because we eat every day. What else do we do every day? We put on clothes. Our clothing choices have such a big impact on the planet. And this was something that was A, surprising to me and B, something that I really didn't want to hear because I was a bit of a fashionista and a fashion influencer. And and I was also being paid by brands to promote to sell their clothes. And so I was very much a part of the fashion system that we we are so entrenched in that it's just normal to us now to be scrolling on our feeds and to be being sold things that we don't really need you know and we don't we don't question that but when you look at the facts which is that 60% of all clothing produced is disposed of within the same year it was purchased okay let that sink in to our consumption habits 20% of all industrial water pollution is caused by the textile process the global fashion industry is responsible for 8% of all greenhouse gas emissions and the last one is Half a trillion gallons of water is used in the textile dyeing process annually. Yeah. Now, if we are in a, living at a time when our resources are so stretched thin, we're running out of water in Australia, South Africa, in and California, in most places of the world where our water tables are low. Is it moral? Is it ethical to be using so much water to make clothes that we are going to throw away in one year when already so many clothes exist in the world, and that is when that is what caused me to do a complete one eighty and say I cannot support this industry anymore. And I and I embarked on a no new clothes for a year challenge, which I have to admit was a lot easier during COVID because we're all laying around in our sweats anyway. Yes. Um, but it has made me realize actually I'm coming onto nine months that I'm going to, to continue my no new clothes indefinitely. Mm-hmm. With the exception of undies and socks and things yes. like that, yes. I, you know, I'm going to be, I'm going to be forthcoming, but this is like a complete turnaround from the person that I was because there are already enough clothes in the world. How can we, if we want to leave a livable planet for our children, continue to poison, poison our rivers and our oceans with all these dyes and microplastics they estimate that uh, that sixty percent of the fish we eat is contaminated by plastic. Oh yeah. You know. Oh yeah. So wh- how can we? How can? What are we going to say to our kids? Sorry, we just really needed the latest trend when they ask us why there are no clean rivers or oceans left. So that's another big one, and that those are the two things that I think that I, I have broken down and I've tried to break down into layman's terms in terms of practically how you can go from being a degenerative human to a regenerative human. So what I do is only buy secondhand clothes, but I'm also envisioning a future where we start to change the way we grow crops for textiles. Of course. They can be, but like our food, regenerative. And we're still very far away from that. But uh, right now I'm just kind of in the place of do no harm, which is buying only secondhand.
0: Have you been thinking about maybe having your own podcast? Well, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First and foremost, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor, they'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple and many more. With Anchor, you can start to make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership as well. It's truly everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot so, you know, I have uh, 30 years in the fashion industry under my belt as a, you know, designer and, and creative director and, and a owner of a company. And I saw with my own two eyes and it, when I was learning processes and I was learning dyeing processes, and I was watching textile manufacturing and I, it was also interesting to me. I was a sponge. I was absorbing it all. And it was like one day it hit me. It was like, well, where's that water go? How does, where's the dirty water go? And how are we doing this? And then also what happened in, you know, my ripe age of 51 almost in April. Um, you know, I watched the fashion industry change, literally change from wearing your great basics and your great casuals to totally disposable clothing. Big companies opened up where it was, it's called disposable fashion. That's really what it's called. And that's what you're referring to. Mm-hmm. And what gets under my skin more than anything is the unbelievable excess as Americans that I see. It's gross. It's disgusting. Yeah. How much, yeah. and you talk about, you're, you're a very selfless person. That's clear and evident. And what you can hear is how selfish people are, you know, I mean, how many handbags do you need? How many pairs of shoes do you need? How many pairs of jeans do you need? And they really are bad. Denim is one of the worst uh, culprits to, uh, to the earth and the soil. So I just want to dump back. So, so what Natalie did is she went on a a social media campaign a no, no clothes challenge where she wasn't going to buy anything new. And, That used to be a really fun thing, like vintage shopping and finding vintage clothes. And as a fashion designer, I did a lot of my study and research in vintage clothing shops and things like that. But it has changed, you guys. And there's, I work with a company called Wardrobe and it's an app and it's, I put my clothes that I don't wear anymore, my designer clothes, my good clothes that, you know, I just don't need anymore. I put them in this app and people can shop my closet. So that's something that you could do. So it's a sustainable, or I want to even say regenerative model. So there are so many burgeoning businesses out there that are leaning toward the betterment of waste and trying to reduce that waste. So look at it a little bit differently and think about it. Like you said, do I really need this? You're saving money and you're saving the planet. So I loved your challenge. And, you know, I think that that was so you're now going to continue it. you say. You're not you're not going to shut it off.
1: Yeah. And I'm going to look for places that uh, use like I don't, you know, cotton is cotton is very, very problematic. It's been sold to us as this eco friendly textile. But actually, it takes three years of drinking water for one person to make one cotton T-shirt. I would say, please don't buy any new cotton t-shirts. Okay. We already half, have enough right? in existence. Yeah. And let's start like, you know, I don't have the answers here. And that's why I would suggest for you to um, interview Re- Rebecca Burgess. Mm-hmm. She has a book called Fiber Shed. It's a wonderful book. And she's starting to lay this like plant seeds of what a regenerative textile industry could look like in the future. But to be honest, I think like I get excited about like or okay hemp is okay, cotton, not so good. But you know that we can make materials from mycelium, from mushrooms. Yes, you know, so i so talking about fungus. Yes. yes, so I'm just saying we need to, I don't even think we have really landed on a material that is regenerative yet. And I think we've right. got to really go back into the past and go into the future as well. This system is broken and let's use our creativity to reimagine a new one.
0: So I want to talk about like mushrooms are an incredible, incredible. I don't even want to call them a plant. I mean they're a fungi, but like they make clothing. I want to talk about that. They're an amazing immune booster. They're a wonderful plant. And so can, talk a little bit more because I know you're on a, a foundation, on a board of directors for the. I think it's the uh, Fungi Foundation. In fact, so can we talk a little bit more about the the, the, the fungi and and how the soil can really save us?
1: Yes. So. Um... First of all, I would like to point out something that I didn't know until this last year, which was that fungi are in their a kingdom of their own. They're very, they're not a plant and they're not an animal. They're actually closer to animals than they are to plants. Now, what they are, are ancient organisms that way, were here way before us and that have been spending billions of years evolving and problem-solving and living in symbiosis with other organisms. So this is what we're talking about, an ancient technology, a very sophisticated technology. No fungi, no life on Earth. For example, when humans came along, our ancestors knew how vital fungi is you know to our survival. There's fungi that feeds us. Obviously, we can forage different kinds of fungi to feed us. Like you said, there's fungi to boost and protect our immune systems. Um, there's fungi that can make fires, you know, kindling There's fungi that can be used to, for medicine. In fact, there's a kind of like a mummified man that they call the ice man that they found like pretty much perfectly preserved in a glacier in the Swiss Alps. And when he had a little pouch on him and when they went to kind of excavate him and see what was in his pouch, he had two types of fungi. One was used to make fires and the other one was used for medicine. And these are knowledges of fungi that we have sadly lost. And then another way that we think that fungi and humans have been like symbiotically evolving with one another is that there's a theory that humans um, evolved, our prefrontal cortex, the part of our brain that makes us humans and not apes, evolved because our primate ancestors started to eat the psilocybin mushrooms, yes. which are the psychedelic, psychedelic mushrooms. mushrooms. And yes, and those g- give you anesthe- a synesthesia, they activate your our brains in a different way. That they think that that's what happened over millions of years is that eating eating these these psilocybin mushrooms help our prefrontal cortex to expand and create language. So We right. and I fully believe this is a theory, but I'm one hundred percent personally behind the theory. Yeah. Um, and 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 now they're discovering that psilocybin has having amazing results treating PTSD, treating right. anxiety and depression mycelium is proven to be a wonderful alternative to single-use plastic it's like a compostable material so imagine drinking water from a bottle made from mycelium and when you're done with it you throw it onto your garden compost pile and it decomposes and turns into healthy soil yes or the same thing with clothes if we can make clothes and leather from mycelium imagine the like how we could switch from this stupid linear economy where we're just using, consuming, disposing, and burning something circular where we're using and we're throwing onto the compost pile and new life is growing from it you know Yeah. and that's how our ancestors lived and so I think fungi is a way to find our rightful place as symbiotic members of this ecosystem we can learn so much from them and that's why it's an honor to be on the Fungi Foundation on the board of the Fungi Foundation and uh, if you haven't watched the movie Fantastic Fungi I highly recommend it it's what turned me on to all this fantasticness of this world and then if you are inspired by what I'm saying, please you feel free to go onto the Fungi Foundation and, and learn more about what they're doing. And uh, feel free to sign up as a monthly donor to support us. We really need the funds. And you can do that on a on a page called every dot org and look up the fungi foundation on there and you can sign up for monthly um, donations because this is a, a part of scientific research that is so underfunded and yes. yet it is so vital and that's why i'm it's an honor to learn my voice to this topic and and be a voice for the fungi
0: that's amazing i there's so much literature out there on um, psilocybin on mushrooms, so do the research because The sad part about a lot of this is a lot of this stuff already exists. It's available. We have, you know, there's, there's practices that could be taken right now. So your vote also matters. Like, look at who you're voting for. Look at what they're standing up for and look at what they're promoting in order to help save our planet and help keep us healthier. We do have to do our part in it. You're just so full of information. I could ask you a million more questions and I will, but I'm so glad because I'm going to have you back and I'm going to do more research and I will interview some of these people that you've asked me to. I appreciate that. I don't know about you, but I'm not exactly embracing my salt and pepper highlights that are incessantly pushing through and I'm fighting it. But with more color, that means I need more serious protection for my hair to keep it healthy. Way helps find the way back to healthier hair with products specifically formulated for all hair types and needs, even yours. No matter what kind of hair day you're having, we all want quick fixes and habits that help us create effortless routines and ways best-selling hair oil is my multitasker. It's perfect for when I'm on the go and for layering into my styling routine as needed. It's a fast fix for frizz and sealing split ends, for a super smooth finish, and it can be applied on wet or dry hair, protecting from heat damage, and it keeps that color from fading too, so you just soak in the benefits. Waze Hair Oil is nutrient-packed, soothing damaged hair with ease. No matter what kind of hair you have, Waze Hair Oil will rejuvenate your hair so it's healthier, more vibrant, and smells incredible whether you've got fine medium thick or multiple hair concerns find what you need at way and get your fast fix for healthy looking hair today go to t h e o u a i com and use code in my heart for 15% off any purchase that's t h e o u a i com code in my heart now back to my show You're very big on promoting also positive thinking, you know, thinking and practicing gratitude. When you come from a place that looks at the mechanism of fungi and looks at the earth and cares about it, you're a soulful person. And working with your own happiness, right? Feeling confident within your own skin. I know that this manifests into amazing things when you are who you really are and you are passionate about the things that matter and you are vocal about the things that matter. What can you lend to people about that? And how do you stay uplifted when you do feel as though you've got a big mountain to move?
1: I have to say I've been really uh, transformed by the work of Joe Dispenza. His meditations and his, his research around neuroscience and how we can actually um, change our electromagnetic fields uh, to go from putting out energy of scarcity and lack and sickness and, and switching our electromagnetic fields to live in a place of gratitude, um, to call in more abundance. And I don't just, I don't say that like to get rich, I'm saying like, you know, real wealth, which is, which is health and happiness and resources and, I I recommend his books, specifically Becoming Supernatural, to everybody. And I'm just a normal person. And I, I struggle with all kinds of insecurities and doubts like everybody else. But I've been really recognizing more and more lately the power of my own thoughts and the power of my belief systems and not succumbing to limiting beliefs and recognizing them when they come up. And yeah, bringing awareness to them so that I can, um, transform them because I want to be limitless and not just for myself and my personal goals, but I want to be limitless because there are collective goals that I want to accomplish for the, the, the good of other people and the planet and all
0: living yes. beings. And so I don't right. have time to be limited. I need to be limitless. (laughs) (laughs) We've got social equality out there we have to fight for, right? So you do a lot of that manifesting through your meditation. Is that the the practice that you find that voice, that inner voice?
1: Yes, through meditation and through psilocybin, to be honest. Yes. Um, the microdosing on psilocybin is a wonderful way. I mean, obviously, please look into some guidance on how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm talking about something that is not legal, you know, yes. in a lot of places. Right. But this is a, a medicine that comes from the earth. And I think it's important for people who, for people to start owning or speaking up about, about how much has helped them because we need to push for the decriminalization.
0: A hundred percent. I yeah. think the only state that's working on that right now is Colorado um, and, allowing, Oregon. And, and Oregon and Oregon too. Okay, yeah. good. good. But good, you good.
1: know, and there's a, and there's a ballot measure coming up in California. But you know, like this, this I I, I really want to be part of the rewriting of the narrative around it, where it's not just yes. for people that are rave, some you know people people to take it. Or this is medicine that can actually help you rewire your neural pathways and help you out of depression and limiting limiting beliefs.
0: So Michael Pollan is a is a guy who researched this a lot and he wrote a book Called "How to Change Your Mind," and it's a, its an incredible—it's an incredible read about psychedelics and, namely, psilocybin, and how a lot of these psychedelics have gotten a really bad, a really really bad rap, and actually removed from society, call you know, as dangerous. And so we are breaking through some of these barriers now. Um, I know through my own experience, so I'm happy to talk about microdosing, and I know through so many people that I um, that are in my tribe. And it's not, yeah, it's not partying and going to a rave. You know, it's really, there are guided tours to it. There's a lot of people. So just do your research and don't be so afraid of what, you know, people tell you all the time. Like do your own research, understand these, these things. And you're going to find that the universe is got our back. It's the earth is a phenomenal, phenomenal system. The human beings are phenomenal, intricate, incredible, resilient, you know, things, living things. And I love so much that you say that you want to live with the planet, you know what I mean? And not just on it. And if yeah. you think about that, it's, it sounds so You know, profound, but it's actually quite basic, right? Doesn't it make sense that we are a part of this system? We are a part of the ecosystem and what we're doing is our selfishness is we're draining it, we're killing it, we're destroying it. And with that materialism that is the destruction, the dollars in our wallet, the way we view success, the, the the barriers and boundaries and the super ego that society puts on us about what we're supposed to be and what measures success or what measures beauty, like you mentioned in the opening of this. We have to open our minds to that. Um, if we don't, it will destroy us. It really, really will. So I thank you.
1: I really want to echo that. Michael Pollan's How to Change Your Mind is a wonderful yes. book for everybody to read. Yes,
0: it's great. It's really wonderful. It did it changed my life in, in many mm-hmm. ways because it educated me into something that I knew and innately I believed in, but I had been told so many times not to, to walk away mm-hmm. and, and not to look at it. So This was so informative, and thank you so much. Your ideas toward regenerative living, your commitment to unlearn the many lessons we're taught about living that causes so much harm to our environment, plus your sheer passion for regenerative living, sustainable living. It's all incredible, but I need to ask you three things. Real quick, fire. What makes you tick? What are some of your favorite things, and how do you find your freedom, Natalie Kelly? what makes me
1: tick is living in symbiosis with the natural world and being a regenerative, helpful, beneficial presence on this planet where I can. What are some of my favorite things? Obviously, soil and fungi. (laughs) How do I find my freedom? Through dance and connection which fungi can really help with both. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> beautiful. Well, you are incredible. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your dedication and commitment. I know you have a very important board meeting and you better run to it. I can't wait okay. to see see you again and speak to you again. Thank, Thank you so you. much for everything.
1: This conversation has been an absolute pleasure. Rather, I'll talk to you guys soon.
0: Thank you very okay. much. Bye. Thank you. Welcome to Hollaback. This is the part of my podcast where I answer all of your questions. My next question is from at Danielle McKay. And Danielle asks, Hi, Heather. I'm wondering what inspired you to start your healthcare food line? Oh, well, thanks for that question. My company is called Beyond Fresh, and you can find it at beyondfresh.com. And what inspired me to start it was really my son, Jax. And his health challenges. And really after I went back to school to learn more about nutrition and, you know, get my degree in health coaching so that I could stop reading diet theories and really start understanding nutrition and how to best serve my son and my whole family by using food as medicine and really using food as fuel kind of not just looking at it as a social aspect, which it is, but also understanding the power of nature and the power of food. And I graduated really understanding that there was so much propaganda out there and there was so much mixed messaging out there for consumers that were trying to do the right thing. They were trying to be good. They were trying to be healthy, but marketing and Propaganda employees really fool us. And then I got into understanding like GMOs and genetically modified food and the preservatives and the artificial colors and flavorings that go into our food. And, you know, convenience is killing us, to be honest. So I set out with Beyond Fresh to create a organic superfood, whole food supplement line that was free of any preservatives, free of GMOs. Totally vegan, totally organic, um, working with organic farmers that also helps big blue because when we're adding pesticides to the soil, it's just, it's just a whole chain reaction. So Beyond Fresh is there to provide 365 days a year of fresh whole food delivered right to your door. And with it, first of all, it's affordable. Also, I had to set out to make it attainable for people because it was also a lot of these uh, you know, vegan supplements were so expensive. So Beyond Fresh is whole food, it's organic, it's affordable, and it's delivered 365 days a year. And I set out to also be a place of education and knowledge for people so that they can start to crowd out bad choices with better choices and really start their own wellness journey right here with us at Beyond Fresh. So if you're interested at all, head over to beyondfresh.com, drop in your email, you'll get 15% off your first order. And you can sign up to my newsletter and the Instagram is there, Beyond Fresh Instagram. And obviously at heatherthompson.com, you can ask me any questions you want. I'm here for you. I want you all to be healthy and stay healthy and be well. Thanks so much for that question, Danielle. In My Heart is a production of Embassy Row. Our executive producer is Sarni Rogers. This episode was produced by Alexa Machia and Anna Marie Johnson, Karen Silverstein, and Heather Thompson. The show is edited by Maureen Vigas. You can follow me on Instagram at IamHeatherT. See you next week.